For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to gabrielrutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like to support this podcast by subscribing for $5 a month, click the Substack link in the episode notes. You won't get any extra episodes, but Gabriel will think warm thoughts about you. And now it's time for the drive home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. Now here's your host, Gabriel. Well, this whole episode is a lie. I'm not driving home from a gig. I'm driving to a gig. Two-hour drive to Kamano Island, Washington. To Kamano Island Country Club. Sold out. Is it sold out because of me? I don't think so. I think they usually sell out because people at country clubs sometimes like to have a fun evening while they drink wine, eat food, and laugh at clowns. Uh, it's supposed to be a good show. Why am I being so negative? I don't know. I'm doing it on the way to the show because, uh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm not going to want to on the way home because, uh, I'll be tired and perhaps depressed. Because I know that, uh, I'm going to go home, sleep for a couple hours, fly to Vegas, be there for seven days. Come home for two days, be gone for four days, come home for four days, be gone for three days. Kill myself. Have you guys ever tried to be happy? I mean, it's exhausting. Not worth the effort. After all that, uh, I'm home for almost three weeks. I mean, I have some shows, but... By the way, Olympia types, please go to my March 24th... 3rd, 5th, March 25th show. Saturday, March 25th and, uh, at the Washington Center. I'd appreciate that. If you go, I won't kill myself. No pressure. It's up to you. Uh... Yeah, in the best of circumstances, this is a tough travel job, obviously. Uh, but I'm just in a I'm just in a weird spot right now, where uh, it's worse than normal. And also, uh, you know, it's my wife didn't realize I had a show tonight, so that's always a little. Uh, I mean, you know, it's on the calendar, but she just forgot. So then it's like, she was like, we should watch a movie tonight because the schools don't, the, the schools, the schools don't have kids tomorrow, which is true, but that's because the kids don't have school. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there's no school Monday, President's Day. And I was like, well, I can't, you guys can, but I have a show in Camino Island. And she was like, you do? I thought you were home. Then I, then I get defensive. It's on the calendar! 
I'm doing the best I can. Ay, ay, ay. I'm doing the best I can, he says to the void. Maybe I'll have a sip of my coffee that I shouldn't be drinking this late in the day. Let's see if I I throw a liquid down my feelings hole. Maybe that'll help. Ah, yeah. I actually like my coffee. Like, I like my women. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that, but I do. Seems like a good idea at the time. Sometimes you regret it later. I brought water, too. I do sort of my punishment. It's just not water. It's a Waterloo sparkling water naturally flavored grape. Uh, my daughter Olive is a bit of a uh, she would just love to drink soda all day. And we sometimes have diet soda. Okay, all the time. We have diet soda in the house. Uh, and she's supposed to have one a day. She probably has more than that. But in an, in an effort to like Hey, drink these. I got like a, a, a sparkling water for her. And uh, she hates it. The whole family hates it. In fact, I don't even like it. But I bought it. So as a punishment, I will drink it. It kind of tastes like uh, it had grape juice in the can. And then I rinsed out the can. And filled it with water again, and it kind of tastes like grape. That's my new sponsor for the podcast Waterloo Sparkling Sodas. <laughs> I've had worse. The one day this week I didn't have a show, uh, Thursday I saw my daughter. Maisie's play, which was, uh, well, it was pretty boring, if I'm being honest. Uh, it was a adaption of uh, Taming the Shrew. Because I guess Taming the Shrew is not really appropriate for these times. Uh, but uh, nothing makes me feel dumber than Shakespeare talk. Nothing, you know, the whole play might as well just be like, thouest art a dipshit because it's just it's hard to follow that weird old English language or whatever it's called it's just very it's hard it's hard to get into but at least I got to see it Uh, my daughter had a couple of lines She doth perform them greatest. I had a show I probably should have said no to on, uh, well, it doesn't matter, sometime this week. I think it's an open mic. It was an open mic in Seattle, and then the guy who runs it was just like, hey, if I pay you money, will you come headline my open mic? And I said yes. Uh, And I don't... It just had a weird rhythm to it. I don't know if... uh, 
were too high. I mean, the show was fine overall. But I really got the sense that I needed to slow down because they were all high on jazz cigarettes. I don't know your name, but I fucking love you. I don't... You're like what Mormons think happens when you smoke weed once. was a productive citizen. <laughs> I felt like every third joke worked. I just went to my, uh, you guys are all high, I'm figuring it out. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can tell when the crowd likes every third punchline, I'm like, I can't go slow enough for this high ass movie. <laughs> They also filmed it, which I thought was hilarious. It was a two-camera shoot at a dive bar in Ballard, Washington. By the way, it's hilarious to me that this show is a two-camera shoot. I mean, for what? Fucking evidence? Like, what are we... What are we documenting here? I, I appreciate I appreciate the cameras, but that's <laughs> holy shit! <laughs> Free comedy show will be taped. Okay, great. I'll take it. I'm gonna release this as a special called Every Third Joke. <laughs> said overall not a bad show just weird I don't know rhythm's important to me maybe because I'm a drummer I don't think that's why but I think about rhythm like how the jokes sound when you take the words out of them like you're humming them like you're trying to count how many syllables are in a word that's what they, how they taught me to count syllables in school anyway like the word syllable would be <laughs> three See, I still got it. I think about rhythm. I think about other comedians' rhythms. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. I go pretty fast. Probably uh, just as a... I don't know why. Just as a reaction to... You know, cutting my teeth, doing shows for drunk people trying to keep their attention I just started going fast uh, and I, I just kind of kept that style I'm not I, I don't like uh, I don't let the laugh die all the way usually I sort of like to keep the roll going I, mean, I don't know that's just how I do it I'm not sure it's the right way to do it sometimes I think if I slowed the fuck down I'd have so much more material I could turn an hour into 70 minutes if I took my time very common stand-up comedy advice is uh, don't be afraid of silence. Uh, I'm here to tell you I'm 22 years in and I'm fucking terrified of silence. That's why stone people aren't the best crowd. I mean, I get, I get marijuana is, uh, you know, you could probably win the argument pretty easily. Marijuana is better for the world and you personally than alcohol. Let's just 
talk about the big two. We're not throwing in heroin, meth. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure most of the times I do a show, there's someone high in marijuana. Even at the country club tonight, someone will, someone will have bought a lid of grass. Someone will blaze up a doobie before the uh, comedy show at the country club tonight. But it's weird. I know this from doing those uh, those marijuana-themed shows where, you know, the comics get high and the crowd is high. It's just too slow. What? Uh, wait, huh? Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. There's too slow. Perhaps better behaved. I think drunk people are more likely to assume you want to talk to them or yell shit out. I had a show in Salem uh, on Friday where uh, <laughs> a lady definitely, I think, was wine drunk and just chatting away with me like it was just the two of us. It is hard. We didn't mean to make that many. <laughs> I mean, do you have three? We do. You want to trade sometime just for funsies? <laughs> They're all old? Perfect. And they call me for money occasionally. I, I got you. I, yep. You know what? I haven't said this and meant it, but fucking live, laugh, love. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's fucking time. Although my kid's in Colombia right now. Your kid's like in Colombia, yeah. Like okay, you know what? If you have three, one of them's going to do coke. It's not, it's not your fault. He's a six foot six white boy. Well, they won't. He won't stand it at all. He'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you. Doesn't make me worry at all. But we got the phone call today. We're okay. You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. Oh, no. I got the phone call. We're, we are, we're I'm going to wrap up the audience interaction. <laughs> um, I mean, I try to be a good listener, but I have limits. You know what I mean? Like I... <laughs> Three's a lot. You get it. How old? Six foot six. Uh, twenty five. Twenty twenty five. That should have been a quicker response. I'm just gonna put that out there. I don't know if he sent home presents, but that. Should... No, I get. I get it. I understand. Look, when when my when my when I take a kid to the doctor by myself, embarrassing when I don't know about my kid. They're like, "What's your daughter's birthday?" I'm like, "December twenty first. They're like, "What year?" Every year. That was a great show, by the way. Uh, Salem, Oregon, Infinity Room. A sellout. I don't know how many it was. 65, 70. Um, I was kind of laughing because when they approached me to do the show, they were like, it's a door deal. Which means, of course, uh, it's like a 50-50 door deal. I would get half the ticket price and the club would keep the other half. And I go, you know what? Uh, let's just do a flat fee. I'll pay an opening act out of the flat fee. Just because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to worry about advertising. I didn't want to uh, stress that I was going to make, you know. Last month I made $300 total for a weekend where I flew to San Diego. Because it was a door deal. They don't always work out. 
So I'm like, give me the flat fee. It'll be fine. Give me enough that it's worth me going. And maybe it'll cost me some money, but whatever. And then I go there and they're like, it's sold out. Next time you're here, we're going to do two shows. And I'm like, should have taken the door deal. But then I th- they gave me the door deal anyway, which I believe was 65 more dollars than my flat fee was going to be. So. Fun show. And apparently my neighbor was at that show, unbeknownst to me. Alright, I'm not leaving yet. I will mention I have things for sale on your way out. Low pressure. None of the money goes to charity. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you on TikTok. That's why I'm here. You saw me on TikTok? Oh, that's that's cool. That's amazing. She introduced me to TikTok. You're her neighbor? No, I'm your neighbor. Like in my neighborhood? <laughs> just down the road in the city. Don't just just down, just down the road. You live in you live in Olympia? Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> Something about I'm your neighbor sounded threatening though. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> your wife's still home? I did go. I did go to Eureka. Oh, I love that you did that. Oh. How was it? <laughs> we can do this backwards. Any questions you guys have? <laughs> Eureka was was fine. Eureka. I'm in Salem right now. I'm trying to fucking focus, lady. I got a neighbor here. He's probably pissed off about my lawn right now. He's like, Dandelion guy's a comedian? Fucking figures. There's one on every fucking cul-de-sac in this town. You had to get away from TikTok? Yeah, I can't watch it because it sucks you in. Yeah, it does. It does suck you in. Yeah, and I can't and then I can't find my phone, so I got the watch to find the phone. I'm done. Promise? <laughs> no, man, I like you. We're friends. Um, if I ever need Coke, I will call your son. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm doing a little sales pitch right now. So I can continue to have bad career ideas that go to fucking Eureka. I, uh, as this gentleman knows, I live in Olympia, Washington. I've been doing comedy t- almost 22 years. No one's ever been like, I'm your neighbor! Is it garbage night? Why are you here? <laughs> and again, I don't... You know, people are... I don't know. Something's going on with me on the internet. People are showing up more than they used to. Granted, it's a... Uh, whatever. A 70-seat room in Salem. Uh, but still, it's people are showing up because they know me. 
from whatever, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, much more than they used to. So that is, uh, that's kind of fun. Things are going uh, very well for me, professionally. Which means personally, it's a fucking disaster. I'm gonna have a little more coffee. Feelings are coming back. They should put some else in this coffee. I've run a red light sober, so I'm not pushing it. The rhythm. Have you ever had sex? I'm waiting for you to respond. And like sometimes it's like like the rhythm's off. Sometimes you're in the rhythm. It's just right. And then sometimes it's like, I don't, you know what I mean? It's just not quite. You have to settle into the rhythm. You're like, oh, okay. This is how we're doing it this time. A crowd is kind of like that. But I like to give them the rhythm. Before I fuck them. You know what? This analogy, uh, I regret Sometimes their hat goes, no, that's not the rhythm. Sometimes the crowd goes, don't just stick it in and start pounding away. (laughs) Uh. By the way, stoners, again, no judgment at all. Because I uh, drink more than I should. I mean, fairly good in moderation, you know what I mean? But just, of course, if I kept a journal and showed it to my doctor, he wouldn't be like, oh yeah, you're killing it. I like Jameson too, you know. Well, he might say you're killing it, but not in a good way. But just wait. Now that marijuana is more and more mainstream, wait till more steadies come out and you are not going to get to feel as good about your marijuana, I'm sure. They'll be like, oh, there's a lot of evidence that it does this. And they'll be like, damn it. We didn't have to think about that when it was illegal. You know, just like, uh, I mean, I think it varies, but like, you know, what I heard is uh, uh, eight drinks a week for women, 15 drinks a week for men. Anything above that is more than moderate drinking. Maybe as it gets more in the mainstream, they'll be like, how many um, do you use marijuana? And they'll be like, how often? Ooh, anything more than two days a week is not good for your brain. Also, you missed your last six appointments, so that could have something to do with the marijuana also. Still probably will be better for you than alcohol. Which is why I invented marijuana beer. I'm sure it's out there. 
it is funny what everyone just sort of picks what they're going to worry about because you can't worry about everything you know I was working with somebody who uh, they weren't feeling that good and I go I got some ibuprofen I can't say that word I ibuprofen I ibuprofen ibuprofen I said I got some of those like aspirin things that aren't <laughs> acetaminophen. Why can I say that word? But not ibuprofen. And he was like, "No, I t- I try not to take too many of those." And I go, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, if you take a lot of ibuprofen, it can damage your liver. And he's like, I, I already drink a lot, so I tried to avoid the ibuprofen. And I, I was just, I just laughed to myself. No judgment, but it's just funny to be like, no, I'll keep drinking, but I'm going to cut back on the thing that makes me feel better after I drink too much. You know what I mean? People who smoke cigarettes are like, you know, there's a lot of aluminum and deodorant. And you're like, I... Okay. I guess. Anyone who has ever told me they use natural deodorant, I was like, yeah, I can tell. I'm a little nervous, I guess, about working... Uh, comedy seller in Las Vegas. I'm not nervous like I don't know what jokes to do, although I don't because it's 15 minute sets uh, which is a little different because it's like five people doing 15 minute sets I think or I'm not even positive yet but and you might think like oh that's a really easy night for you which it is but I would much prefer to do uh, you know there's two shows a day seven days. That's 14 according to my math. So 14 15 minute sets. If they're like, you get 14 15 minute sets or 14 40 minute sets, I'd be like, give me the 40. Even though it's a lot more work for the same pay, it's just like, I want to do the time. That helps me, you know, let's me fuck around a little bit. But really, I'm like, I hope I want it to go well because it pays well and I want them to make it, want me to come back. But also, I'm there nine times this year. So like if I go next week and I'm like, I don't like this, I got eight more weeks. I mean, you know, they're all different months, but I don't think that's going to happen. I've talked to other people who work there. It seems fine. It's also funny because it's at the Rio, and then people who live in Vegas are like, oh, yeah, the Rio's not great. But, like, is it better than a Super 8? I'm going to guess it is, and I stay in those all the time, and I think they're fine. It's just because it's Vegas, you know what I mean? When I stay at the MGM Grand Select Hotel... Yeah, that's really nice. 
But everyone's like, when I went across the street to the Tropicana to work the Laugh Factory, I mean, was it as nice of a room? Not even close, but it was totally fine and much better than most of my hotel rooms are. Or at least a lot of them. So when people tell me the Rio isn't that great, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, uh, okay, is there mold in the shower? Because to me, that's not great. But if it's cleanish, I think I'll be fine. One annoying thing I already know about is because uh, I, I got an email. It said uh, it's $34 a day to get internet in your room. Why is there traffic right now? Son of a bitch. Uh, anyway. I will not be spending 34 times 7. <laughs> I was better at 7 times 2. I don't know what 34 times 7 is. But, they said there's a little bit of a workaround. You can go to the lobby, log in to the lobby internet, and then, like, take your computer back to your room, and you will stay on that internet for 24 hours. Which, I guess I'll feel a little, little silly with an open laptop in the elevator, but... Yeah, I'll do that. 34 bucks a day. But yeah, a little, uh, maybe nervous isn't the right word, but just, you know, I think I can sell things. I think I can do merch, but I'm not positive. I'm bringing it anyway. You know, all these kinds of little questions just because I've never worked there before and I want it to go well. The way the comedy seller, uh, gives you your sets. It's like sort of an automated texting program. And so I get a text from the comedy seller that's like, here's your shows. And, uh, but it was only through Thursday. It was Monday through Thursday. And I thought, okay, I think they book them. They book, they consider a week to start on Friday, sort of their system. So I'm like, well, I'll bet I'll get another one later in the week. But also like, should I respond to the text and say, Am I still good for Friday to Sunday? Should I just assume it's going to work out? I did send the text. They did I, what I thought was confirmed, but it's it's weird. It, I have like a... Uh, it's like texting a girl or boy uh, that you're interested in. Like, should I text back? Is it too soon to text back? You know, I'm choosing all my words very carefully. I'll throw in an LOL. Should I use an exclamation point? I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to annoy them. There's a funny thing that happened. Oh, real quick. I wanted to give a shout out to podcast listener uh, Sharon Lacey, uh, who's also a uh, hilarious comedian because she, I don't think she meant to. I think she was just going to go to the show, but she got talked into uh, doing an opening set in front of me. And Federal Way, and that show was off the rails. Like, the mic wasn't working. A guy went up and did comedy who I don't think had ever done it before. He was, like, holding the mic down by his waist. No one could hear him. Uh, you know, people are playing pool. The TVs are on. Not the volume, but, you know, it was chaos. And uh, Sharon went up before me and had a great set. Killed. 
which is, you know, that's, that's, I mean, maybe I could have got them on my own, but I didn't even have to because she did. And that was, uh, that was great. I didn't, <laughs> that, that show was kind of, should have been a disaster, but we pulled it off. But anyway, I was thinking about after shows and I, hey, I don't even like, t- when I talk about this, I'm not saying this so you don't come talk to me after a show. I don't mind that at all. Uh, but it's just, it's weird. I guess every comedian sort of a amateur sociologist and sociology was the last class I had in community college uh, that I flunked out of. So I know what I'm talking about. But it's interesting, and this is not just about comedy, but like if you're in a room, let's say there's 200 people in a room at a comedy show and it goes very well, people are laughing. The people after the show want to tell me or whoever the comedian was why they connected with it, which is cool. But sometimes, you know, comedians are very good at turning compliments into insults, you know. They were like, you know, if they're like, oh, you were really funny. I'm like, oh, you didn't think I was going to be funny? (laughs) They're like, I like the new material. Oh, you didn't like my old material? You know, that's on us. We're insane. But sometimes people say stuff that's like... I don't know. There's like a weird... And I'm sure I do it too for other entertainment. But there's like a weird thing where it's like, yeah, the whole room liked you, but we really got you. Sometimes it'll be stuff like... uh Oh, we were laughing so hard, but we were sitting with people who didn't have kids, so I don't think they got it as much. And it's like, well, you know, maybe. I saw your table. Seemed like they were laughing. But I've learned they don't mean it as an insult. They don't mean, like, only we got you. They just mean, like, we get you more. They're trying to connect more. I understand that. But the one that I've been thinking about, because it's happened a few times recently that makes me laugh is where when people tell you they're from somewhere else as if that means their opinion is better than the rest of the people in the room it happened in Little Rock Uh, after the show these two ladies were like I don't know saying nice things about me but they were also like and we're from California so we get it I'm like what the fuck does that mean I mean, granted, uh, earlier in the show, I had accused them of being lesbians. Well, accused is not the right word. I had asked, because I was talking to another lesbian couple in the crowd, and I asked them if they were lesbians, and they were like, uh, no, we're sisters, which is awkward. But in my defense, uh, Arkansas is one of the sister lesbian capitals of the world. But it's that's a, that's a funny thing to say after a show... New York people do it too. You were good, and I'm from New York. Like, oh, okay. No one gets to say that who lives in my town, Olympia, Washington. We don't get to go to a Los Angeles or New York comedy club and then say to the comedian after the show, you are really funny, and I'm from Olympia, Washington. So, 
take that for what it's worth. Damn it, I left early. Ish. And now I'm going to be like, just on time if there's no more trouble. But there was a guy at the the Stone show I did who told me uh, I was one of the reasons he started comedy. Or maybe one of the reasons he decided to become full-time comedy. I can't remember exactly. He said I was part of his inspiration. Which is always a little, um, obviously flattering. But also, I mean, a handful of times people have said something similar to me. Uh, definitely not two handfuls. One handful of times. And again, it's like very flattering. But this is what I'm saying. How comedians can span anything. Is there's a small part of me. It's not the big part. But there's a small part of me when someone says, I saw you do comedy and that's when I knew I wanted to do comedy. There's a small part of me that goes, oh, you think you can fucking do this? Okay. Have fun out there. They're not going to turn the TVs off. But again, if that person's listening, this is about me, not you. Uh, I wish you well on your journey. Someone sent me an email. A, a podcast listener, and you can too. Gabriel at GabrielRutledge.com or go to my website, GabrielRutledge.com. There's a contact form on there or slide into my DM somewhere. And now that I'm driving, I can't remember both the questions, but one of them was, one of them was, uh, are you any relation to Rutledge Farms? Uh, which is something near the Olympia, Washington area. I don't know what town it's in, maybe. Little Rock, Washington? Something like that. It's a little outside of town. And it's like a it's like a corn maze field or something. Rutledge Farms. And man, my whole life living in Olympia, that's such a common question. It's it's just like uh I mean at the grocery store. Well, not recently. I guess I was thinking about back more when we used to write checks. So this is not a current thought. Uh, you know, we'd write a check and they'd be like, Rutledge, are you are you Rutledge Farms? Or are you related to Rutledge Farms? I'm like, no, 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 we're not. I wish we had that sweet, sweet corn maze money, but we do not. I said, uh, I've said before that I wish... I hope people who are Rutledge Farms, I hope they get asked if they're related to the comedian Gabriel Rutledge. <coughs> and uh, I've had that confirmed that it has happened to them. Someone who knew them said it has happened, and that made me feel good. Rutledge is one of those names where... Uh, Oh, just there. Well, there was the accident. I think an Amazon truck got in an accident. So someone's socks are not going to be next day. Yeah, but Rutledge is just uncommon enough that, like, even I'll be out on the road somewhere and wherever. 
Minnesota and people were like, are you related to the Rutledge? You're like, no, no, I'm not. Oddly, I don't think anyone has ever been like, are you related to, and then said someone I was related to. I just finished uh, a book called Hello Molly by Molly Shannon. Uh, actually, she read it to me, an audiobook. Molly Shannon was on the era of Saturday Night Live that I watched. Uh, and she was so fucking funny on that show. Just, I don't know, if you're the right age to even remember, but like Mary Catherine Gallagher, she did like this Sally O'Malley lady who was like, I'm 50. She had a stand-up comedy character. I can't remember her name, but it was like, she was just like sort of, you know, shoulder pads, poofed up bangs, sort of a stereotypical 80s lady comedian, but she was just clueless, but sort of had the right rhythm. So it'd be sketches like she was uh, performing at a hospital and they're like, people are dying and they're carting bodies out and she's just on stage like, dating's tough, am I right, ladies? Don't get me started. Don't even get me started. That was her catchphrase. Don't even get me started. I didn't even do comedy then, but I uh, I thought that one was hilarious. They were all hilarious, but <clears throat> it's interesting because uh, you know, I've read a lot of biographies and autobiographies now. And uh, there are some sort of similarities between the people that make it. I mean, luck is a factor, obviously. But there's also, you know, there's a lot of, like, bad dads. Abandoned by dad, dad was a drunk, dad, you know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> that's true of all the arts, and uh, there's an old Dave Attell joke. It's old enough that it mentions a VHS tape. But his joke, I'm paraphrasing, but his joke was like, if you rewind a porno tape far enough, you'll find a father who just wouldn't listen. But there's a, there's kind of a theme of trauma and a lot of successful performers, musicians probably too. But that's obviously not the only factor. Because, you know, you find 10 people who work at Trader Joe's. And a lot of them had fucked up childhoods. A lot of them have father abandonment issues or whatever and they did not go into a performing arts field I mean Molly Shannon's sister had the same fucked up life that she did and she I don't know what she is she's a doctor or some shit so that's obviously not the only factor but I think it helps Uh, Molly Shannon's story a little bit. Uh, her her dad kind of got was a boozer, but he, when she was like four, he got drunk, slept for a while at a party, woke up, drove the family home, fell asleep, rammed into a 
light pole killed her mom, her sister, and her niece, leaving her dad and her other sister alive. So there's obviously a lot of trauma and then her whole life, although she was very close to her dad in many ways, he was also, you know, he struggled with drinking when he, he came out as gay very late in life and all that. It was complicated, but and I was thinking about this in terms of my own daughter who, who uh, is in plays and you know, she wants to do a lot of things. She wants to be a flight attendant. She wants to be on Broadway. She wants to be in movies. She wants to... Who knows? She's in ninth grade. Who gives a shit? You know, dream all the things. It doesn't matter. But, uh... I almost like to think her upbringing is going to be good enough that she might not have the drive to be an actor. Because there's a certain point in any field where it becomes a ridiculous thing to do and a rational person would be like, I gotta stop doing this. I have people who love me somewhere else. I don't need to do this. Whatever, I've been trying to be an actor for five, ten years and it's not going well and it makes me feel like shit. I'm gonna go home and be a, a receptionist or whatever but Molly Shannon for example a lot I mean some things went well but like she for a long time didn't have things go her way but she also had an unfillable hole inside of her from her trauma and stuff It just makes you go, I fucking have to do this. Like when Robin Williams died, and there were some people, you, you know, he committed suicide. I guess other stuff came out later. Maybe he had Parkinson's or... Uh, but still, he committed suicide. And there was some talk that was like, he seemed so happy. And I'm like, are you insane? No one who acted like Robin Williams... didn't have some darkness to him. I mean, I've said this before. I was Don't get me wrong. I think he was a genius and all that. But it's like, I was sort of uncomfortable watching him on talk shows and stuff because he was just insane. It was just like, you know, he would hump the couch and run around and it was like, uh, there was a desperation to it that made me uncomfortable. So when people are like, oh, that guy who acted like a lunatic that made it to make us laugh, he had a dark side? I'm like, you didn't know that? You know, the way Molly Shannon would do these characters, it was like a possession. She embodied the character. She would commit it so fucking hard. And I think that's a fire that doesn't come from two loving parents. And an upper middle class life. There's exceptions. There's some very wealthy people who are uh, pretty good comedians. But I'm talking in generalities. 
And also, you can be wealthy and still have trauma, obviously. But it, I'm just saying, you don't have to be like... Like, the most successful comedians aren't the most fucked up, I don't think. But it is kind of undeniably... Uh, I think it's the drive part. It can't make you funny or make you a good musician or make you entertaining just because you had a sad childhood or whatever. But I think it's the don't quit part. A lot of people say I want to do comedy. And then they do it and they're like, that was fun. It's also hard. I also have a day job. This isn't for me. That was a fun thing. I think in the spring I'm going to join a bowling team. But the fucking lunatics go. That was fun. The first time they do comedy. Or the first time it goes well. And you're like, I'm going to destroy the rest of my fucking life to make sure I get to keep doing that forever. And I don't think, uh, you know, I've joked. I don't think my childhood was bad enough that I'm going to be famous. Shannon level I don't you know my parents are great they're still together I had a loving home but if you want to talk about the recipe that sort of made me a comedian uh, probably Down Syndrome brother that's the first thing I don't think I was able to think about it when I was little, but I'll be, there was some tension in the house because my brother, not just Down syndrome, but had a lot of seizures. He was, he was almost dying constantly for like the first five years of his life. There's going to be some tension. Also, I just feel like everyone in my family is like, my dad's really quiet. My brother's really quiet. The non-Down syndrome one. My mom's not quiet, but she's also not, like, a hilarious person. She likes to laugh. She's a normal person. But, like, I just feel like I sort of, maybe I was born funny. Maybe people are born funny. But I still feel, I just feel like no one was talking. And so as a child, I was like, I better fucking say something. I was afraid of silence then. I'm afraid of silence now. It's all coming together. As soon as I could talk, I was like, there's a lot of dead air in this house. Better up the laughs per minute. But that's probably ingredient number one. Down syndrome, brother. Focus never being on me. That's not a judgment on my parents at all. That's just the reality of having a very special needs child. evangelical childhood. A lot of, uh, a lot of what appeals to me about stand-up comedy, especially in the beginning, but still a little bit, is, uh, 
I like going on stage and talking about sex and swearing because those are things that were just shut down in my church and home life. You know, the same kid who like sneakily had to look at a Sports Illustrated illustrated swimsuit issue and feel bad because Kathy Ireland gave me a boner. Now I get to go on stage and sort of like reclaim. No, we can talk about this stuff. That's ingredient number two. Uh, ingredient number three is a little more hardcore. Ingredient number three is probably uh, my parents. When I stopped going to church, my parents and I never really got over it. We have, you know, they're. I talk to them. I talk to them today. It's fine. It's a great relationship. It's fun. It's lighthearted. They're such great grandparents. They're. Uh, you know, it's all good. I'm very grateful for them in my life. And again, this is all secret. Don't fucking tell anyone or I'll pull this podcast over. But also, they don't... They, they've seen me do comedy once in 22 years. I mean, it was a nice show. At least it was at the Washington Center. At least it was a theater show in front of 500 people. But, I mean, that's kind of weird, right? The general vibe is that they are sort of... I think they would tell you they're proud that I've turned this into a career, blah, blah, blah. But it's... They're not. They're not. They're sort of ashamed I do this. And I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about it after the Molly Shannon book, and I was talking to my wife about it. You know, because after Molly Shannon was on Saturday Night Live and everything was going really great, she was actually really depressed, probably the worst point in her life, she said, because it's like, okay, all the dreams came true, but she did not fill the whole that she was trying to fill. And I was like, what's my unfillable hole? Why do I, why can't I just switch to bowling? Why can't I, why am I going to be gone seven days, home two days, gone four days, home four days, gone three days? Why? It's not, yes, partly I need to have money to pay for my family, but that's not all of it. Why do I do comedy? like my ass is on fire. And it's it's because my parents aren't really proud of me. There you go. So there's something about if I'm not going to get acceptance, if I'm not going to get full acceptance, from the people who made me. 
then I will go get it from strangers. Does that recipe uh, mean I'm going to be a superstar? I don't think so. I think it was too good of a childhood for that. But I do think it means I can sell out 65 seats in Salem. God is complicated, you know? I know God is love is the thing people say, but it... That uh, also makes love a little more complicated. And I'm not, if you are a religious person, this is, I'm not shitting on you. I'm agnostic, but whatever. I, I don't know anything. But man, that's hard. That's hard when it's like, I kind of think my parents think I'm going to hell. And there's a lot more freedom in being agnostic <laughs> than being an evangelical Christian because I don't have, you know, if my kids do porn, I'll be proud of them. I'll have some questions, but like, or to make it even, you know, if, I don't know what sort of spiritual journey my kids are going to take, but if one of my children becomes religious in some capacity, that's still not a wedge for me. that would come between me and my children. If one of my kids became a preacher, I'm pretty sure I would watch more than one sermon in 22 years. I'll put it that way. Even though I had a much better childhood than Molly Shannon, uh, you know, her dad loved her career and she had all these conversations with him. You know, he would call after he watched her in movies or, or saw her on Saturday Night Live and they would talk about it, and, you know. jealous. I'm not trading. You know. <laughs> it was a pretty tough life. But I wouldn't mind if I, you know, if I didn't have to do comedy like I was uh, in the CIA and I couldn't talk about it. That's how it is with my parents. Where were you? I was out of town. Okay. I guess that was enough details. Is that every parent's goal? <laughs> Is to be like, I want to do a good enough job that there's no fucking way my kid's going to be famous. But again, different circumstances. I could have done something else. Uh, I don't think I had that thing where like from from the time I can remember, I knew I was going to perform. I mean, 
mean, I wasn't a band uh, towards the end of high school, and you know, but I, you know, I, I didn't. That is not my experience. But that kind of sucks. It kind of sucks that like. If I was an assistant manager at Costco and I still went to church, uh, my parents would be a lot happier. So even though I don't want to do that, you know, you can't help but want to please your parents, you, you know. My wife always gets mad at me when I say things like, well, a lot of people had it worse than me. Because, you know, she's been to more counseling and she knows you're allowed to say you have a problem with things without comparing yourself to others. (laughs) And I get that. But I still, I do still like, I don't know. I still feel like that's an important thing to realize. Oh, your two parents who are still together in their 70s and both still alive, they give you some trouble. Like, uh, yeah. We'll see. I'll fuck up my own stuff. Let me switch to my grape water. Oh, yeah. Mmm. That was better. That's... I was putting the wrong liquid in my feelings hole. This is gonna turn everything around. Okay, we'll be more lighthearted next time. Next episode, all fart jokes. I just, uh, it's what I've been thinking about because of that book I read and discussions I had with my wife. Okay, bye.